0: From KUOW, you're listening to SoundSide. I'm Mike Davis. Seattle is a city of literature, but you don't have to take my word for it. In 2017, the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, better known as UNESCO, designated Seattle a member of its Creative Cities Network. Seattle is one of only two U.S. cities with this designation, but Seattle can't be a city of literature without its authors. And in a costly city like ours, it can be a challenge for writers to not only afford to live in Seattle, but it can be hard to keep the doors of arts organizations who nurture those artists open. Earlier this month, the executive director of Hugo House, a beloved literary arts organization focused on helping writers, told the Seattle Times the organization is financially struggling and weighing the option of closing for good. We often think of writing as a solitary act, but that's not necessarily the case. Ronit Plank is a Seattle-based author who's been taking classes at Hugo House since 2009. She says that when you take a writing class at Hugo House, you're not just sitting in the room with other writers. You're breaking down barriers
1: barriers and shyness and that insularity that you can have as a writer, you're there collaborating in a room and listening to people's voices that are different from your own and able to share your own Vision and what you're working on and so there's just a sense of acceptance there And also when you go to a dedicated place like Hugo house I feel like you're announcing yourself as a writer and a creative You're saying that you belong in this place and this place was crafted with you in mind
0: Hugo house's precarious future raises a lot of questions about what it takes to keep an arts organization stable and thriving in Seattle Just a couple of years ago When COVID kept us at home, Hugo House was trying to keep up with the demand of support needed for writers by offering virtual classes. These online programs were filled with students who found lots of extra time to write during the pandemic. I wanted to learn more about what Hugo House has been facing. So I spoke with Diana Delgado, the executive director of Hugo House. You took over Hugo House in late May of this year. What kind of state was Hugo House in both financially and culturally at the time that you took over?
1: I think that Hugo House has a history, uh, you know, it's it's an organization that is, you know, over 25 years old. So there was a lot that had happened before I got there. Um, but when I got there, there was it was an organization in great need of financial, cultural as well as just sort of administrative stability. So it was a place that just required really um, me to focus on some of like the ground-level foundational work that needs to happen before you can really think big.
0: Were you aware of all of that at the time that you agreed to take the job?
1: I was aware of some of it because I was aware of... You know the things that were going on in many literary institutions across the nation after um, you know the the racial reckoning that had happened, and so I was aware of it, but I didn't have a deeper, I didn't have the understanding that I now have, and that just required me to really be in 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 the office and and um, meeting with people and understanding the community and um, the needs of Hugo House.
0: Now. COVID posed some challenges for Hugo House, but the organization was able to pivot from in-person classes to a variety of online classes. Has the demand for online classes stayed consistent or have you seen a dip in these last few years as people have returned to in-person events?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think that um, there has been a dip. And I've spoken about this with many people, both internally and externally, around this idea around an invisible recession um, that we, uh, you know, literary institutions are filling that ripple. And what happened was is that there was a surge because the world had changed because of COVID and there was a great demand for digital learning because everyone was at home and connected to the internet. Um, and then post COVID, there was definitely a dip and there was a contraction in that field. But at the same time, the entire learning environment was changed both academically and also um organizationally across community centers that were offering these things uh f- from now that we can fill now so there's been a contraction
0: no that makes sense and for hugo house how does your revenue compare with your operating cost even speaking of like offering hybrid style classes <laughs>
1: It's been really, it's been um, a great effort to really understand that in a genuine way to say that um, inflation, um, lower demand for classes, you know, demands, um, well, I wouldn't post them as demands, but just sort of efforts of Hugo House to really improve worker conditions um, has really increased our expenses to the point to where it's difficult for us to even break even. And I think that that is something that um, we're pondering uh, more and more is how to do right in our community and start with the community that we have in our offices, but at the same time, create a model that's sustainable and um, is able to offer these perks or even just sort of this this foundation to staff and community members. I, I guess we offer maybe over close to $100,000 in free programming. And while on the one hand, I am just so privileged to help lead that effort, um, th- there's a great deal of worry around um, our ability to to maintain the, those offerings.
0: Diana, your your laugh before answering that question says a lot. But for me, I mean, I I've, I have these these conversations with arts organizations and cultural institutions all the time. But I'm sure that for our audience. A lot of people out there probably don't understand the, the inner workings, right? Everyone is familiar with Hugo House, but not everyone understands what actually happens behind the scenes. So I, you kind of answered this, but I want to ask you again, you know, what kind of hidden expenses come up when you're trying to run an organization like Hugo House that some of your students might not be aware of or some of our audience members might not be aware of?
1: Yeah, you know, everything from, um, you know, the building expenses that we have, you know, Seattle, Capitol Hill, especially is a very expensive place to have a building. Um, And when I say have a building, meaning that we um, maintain the building and we share it with sort of this condominium that is above us, these apartments and, um, you know, our expenses, just the common area maintenance fees, you know, it's thousands of dollars just to keep that there. Uh, our light bill, our uh, bill for trash, um, the bills that we we have for internet, um, things that you know you wouldn't really think about, but just all of the software that we we pay for just to keep um, the website going, changes on our website, um, our CRM, you know, um, and and those are all things that I think sometimes people think that well those are optional, but I think that in order for us to do our best effort, we really want to maintain. A great deal of focus on making sure that we're able to innovate and pivot because the world is changing so quickly and so we've invested in those things and at the same time those are the things that can really pop up and scare you on a budget Um, and I think that that's something that kind of moves away from us this idea that yes we are a not-for-profit but we are responsible for a budget and the budget in some ways doesn't lie. Um, And we can bring poet math as often as we can to the table to creatively imagine what we can do. But I think that that is sort of the ship that we have to kind of sail from. And that sometimes is lost, I think, with individuals. Um, In addition to this idea that you know, we'll get through. I, I think that we've kind of reached a point where we're, we're wondering if we will, and I'm doing everything that I can to make things as clear and um, straightforward as possible to share that we do need community help. Um, we do need individuals to invest in arts organizations, especially ours, because we've been doing this now for over 25 years. And I think it's an okay time for us to say, hey, we need a little bit more help.
0: Absolutely. And I think that that transparency that you're sharing will go a long way. At the beginning of COVID, it felt like there was a big push in our city from from audience, from donors, from artists themselves. Everyone wanted to try to make financial donations to try to protect the arts organizations in Seattle. Do you feel like that drive and that passion from 2020 is still here now?
1: It, it isn't. And I think that that's something that I'm trying to understand um, is a little bit more about donor and behavior around grant giving. The landscape is oversaturated at this point with individuals who want and need support for their organizations. One of the things that I see is... Um, Oftentimes, it has been reported that organizations of color uh, that are led by people of color often have a more difficult time accessing the funding and the sources of contributed revenue that maybe white-led organizations just have more accessibility to historically. And and that it's kind of obvious in some ways. But I think that going up against that, in addition to a split in donor behavior, where there are individuals who really believe that we should be committed to social justice, and then split with another faction that says, I, f- I feel I'm putting words, but f- feeling a little bit threatened by that and saying, well, wait a minute, that I want to come in and write some poems. Mm-hmm. So that is something that I'm understanding is occurring. And I'm still trying to develop an, a good response so that I can ensure that people have a understanding that hugo house is all of those things it's not just one or the other and that we really open our doors so that we can have everyone come together in in you know the common language of art
0: that's fair that's fair that's a that's a that's a whole conversation it's... i know
1: i was like maybe this is a completely different thing that we could talk about but it's just something that on the ground but people don't kind of understand what many arts institutions are grappling with and it's a societal shift um, that is really um creating a lot of division versus bringing people together and that's the whole reason why hugo house is such a great place is because we really do want to bring people together
0: absolutely absolutely and there are only so many resources out there i do want to point out that king county just passed a huge levy that will go to uh, so many arts institutions. I mean, we're, we're looking at $100 million a year. I'm hoping that some of that can filter to Hugo House. Seattle wants to be a literary city, right? Like, like that That means that, but uh, practically speaking, Hugo House is in the midst of facing some big decisions right now. I mean, it's scaled back or close entirely. As the leader of this organization, How do you weigh these choices about what can be kept and what has to be cut? That can't be easy.
1: I think the first thing is really becoming knowledgeable in what it is that you are observing and taking the time to understand not only um, the goals of the organization, um, the previous spirit that was there when you already arrived, and also the human impact of the decisions that you're making. And those are all things that I have spent a lot of time getting acquainted with uh, during, you know, these past six months, six, seven months. And it's something that really I understand is difficult uh, for other people to understand because they're not on the interior. But I really hold myself to a high level of accountability to understand all of the pieces and then be able to confidently move forward with the decision. And I think it's not until I understand those pieces that I do make those decisions and they're tough decisions and they can be lonely decisions because you can't necessarily explain all of it to the different people who come with all of these really important perspectives, but at the same time um, have to be pulled in with, with many, many different constituencies.
0: No, I understand that, and I, I think that for for your organization in particular, I think there's 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 a lot of layers because there's so much at play. I mean, you you joined Hugo House during this time with all of these changes. There had been an open letter from local writers uh, calling out your predecessor to resign for you know um, racially exclusionary practices, and then there were staff shakeups. The board had approved an organizational restructure, which included layoffs. So now that you're facing new uncertainty and you know as you're navigating all of this are you looking at more layoffs on the horizon or are you thinking you might be able to maintain your staff?
1: You know our our top focus is stabi- you know stabilization um, and that comes with a lot of questions and again those are hard questions that I am really peering peering into and, and trying to learn more about um, but you know I think I've been very clear with the staff the board and also community members that it's 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 a time where I need to evaluate all aspects of the business and think about streamlining and right sizing and um you know that might include increasing prices to community members we haven't had a price increase in I don't know, a few years, we're gonna be increasing prices and all things. We're gonna be um, including an opportunity for people to support Hugo House through like sliding scale versus free. Um, we're looking at all of the things that we give in terms of free accessible programming and also looking at ourselves and understanding that we can't do it all. So it's really an opportunity for us to really reconfigure in the best way forward so that we can have Hugo House for another 25 years. Um, But but those are all things that we are looking at and we're looking at it with a genuine understanding of the human impact, um, but at the same time trying to evaluate it in in, in a fair way.
0: Diana, I want to be clear. I know that we're here to talk about Hugo House, but a lot of the things that we're discussing is not exclusive to your organization. And we've seen a lot happening across the art sector, including, A lot of turnover in leadership at a number of Seattle arts organizations and institutions. Um, Currently, there's job vacancies, new hires, upcoming departures. And we're seeing this at institutions like the Seattle Symphony, the Seattle Opera, the Fifth Ave, Langston. There's so many. You joined Hugo House in May of this year. What do you think all of this turnover of leadership at arts organizations says about the reality behind what it takes to keep arts organizations thriving post COVID in Seattle?
1: So I think that we're not alone in experiencing these stability issues. I think that I shared that there's a ripple effect and I think we may just be sort of one of the first, you know, on the forefront of that. I think it demands that we take a closer look, not only at these organizations, but the people that are running these organizations. And are we really taking care of them in the way that our mission says that we are going to sort of fight the good fight for this particular mission? And are we doing the same for those leaders, especially leaders of color who we have seen? There have been so many of them that have come into these new positions, myself including. Um, I come with over a decade of experience in New York, but at the same time, every job that you take on, Um, is like a new relationship that you have to build and get to know and understand better before you can make some important decisions. And I think that it really requires and demands that we take a closer observation to not-for-profit and what the demands of not-for-profit are and if they're realistic. And if they're not, what are the things that um, individuals, you know, contributors can do to change that system? And I think that that's something that I think about oftentimes around some of the challenges that I have and trying to make the situation better for the next generation, uh, for thinking about the next generation of leaders who really wanna take the helm and do good in the world. Um, How can we make that better so that we don't have that? Um, But I do agree, it's a tricky time. It's a time where everyone is um, really looking at the quality of life and the quality of the work environment that they're in and if that works for them or not. Um, the one thing too that I want to share is, you know, we talked a little bit about the letter that was given. And I think that, you know, I'm a writer myself. You know, I'm a poet. I was trained at Columbia University to be a poet. And I come from SoCal and grew up in a Chicano neighborhood. And I I understood all of those things that were coming out. And it's been a really interesting, interesting. A confluence of perspectives that I've been able to bring to this role because I understand those demands and now I'm on the receiving side of trying to make those things happen. And I just, I see how tricky it is, you know, to, to navigate those things now um, because I do understand why that happened. Um, and I believe in individuals really challenging um, the system to change and now I'm on the interior of the system and I'm really um, challenging myself to really make it better.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's not a, it's not an easy thing to do, right? Like,
1: no, it isn't. No, it isn't. And I think that's something um, that goes to the, like, you know, the turnover and individuals maybe be uh, misunderstanding um, just how much you have to give in order to maybe, you know move a pebble in in this landscape
0: right 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 it's also not easy to be in a position where you're inheriting that right like the the, the letter comes out and they hire someone new now you're here you got to make these changes changes are not free we love the arts but the arts are the arts are still a business unfortunately it would be great if we could run our businesses on poet math and next time we talk i'm going to have to drill down i'm going to ask you the hard hitters on how we do poet math because because I need to bring that into my life. But I, I do want to say it's it's very clear that the writers who attend Hugo House classes and, and teach, they're very passionate about the organization's future and, and its success. And I know that in Seattle, we love having the moniker of being able to say that we're, we're a literary city. And, and, you know, we have programs and, and festivals and stuff. And we get to say that. But from your perspective as the executive director of Hugo House, Do you feel that Seattle as a city is also invested at keeping this institution alive?
1: I think that's a question that's yet to be answered. I think that the first part of it was just getting the word out and understanding what the different pieces were um, and how to explain our story to other people, which I think that the Seattle times article did a fair good job of that. Um, And now I've been approached by many people um, that have been part of Hugo House for a very long time, but I'm also waiting for others to come forward to say, we do want this literary center and we believe in it and um, we wanna make it accessible for everyone and we wanna continue you know, um, building on the next chapter. Um, so, so I don't know that yet to, to be honest, um, but I'm hopeful that um, levy tax the doors open. I, I wrote the council woman who was in charge of that immediately and said, I'm ready. Tell me when this application goes up because we 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 should be, you know, considered. Um, I didn't hear back, but they probably have a busy schedule. But I I just think that um we're gonna find out. And I think that we're doing everything to share spread the word. Like you, your this interview is just a way to spread the word and say, Every little bit counts. We make it very easy for people to give to Hugo House. And I'm very happy to be connected with other people who might be able to give, not only in Seattle, but also also nationwide, because we have online classes um, that you know are, are nationwide. So our community really does span uh, you know across the nation.
0: Diana Delgado is the executive director of Hugo House. Diana, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to Soundside.
0: This show is only possible because listeners support us. If you're able to give right now, please check out the show notes for a link to donate. And don't forget, you can
1: listen live on KUOW 94.9 FM Seattle at noon and 8 p.m., Monday through Thursday, or anytime online at kuow.org.